Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cult I Left Behind podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Briggs, and I'm here to tell you my stories of growing up in the IBLP cult, which you might know from the Duggar family. And I'm your other host, Kyle Briggs. I'm Amanda's husband, and I have not heard most of these stories before. So stay tuned, and we'll all get traumatized together. Welcome back to the next episode. This one's going to be interesting, and we've kind of decided to go with divorce and the cult as this episode. <laughs> um, and it's it's tied off of the Shiny Happy People docuseries. I had a bunch of questions when I was watching that about, like, why is Anna Duggar still with Josh? Josh? And I was just like, I like, after all of that stuff... It was going on with him and, you know, she's having kids with him. And I was just like, I don't get it. I don't understand why she's still with him. And we just looked and it appears as though she is still married to him, even Mm -hmm. though he's in prison Mm -hmm. for. I don't know how far he is into his 12 and a half year sentence, but. So he's in there for. A while. Sex crimes. Mm-hmm. Again, and against minors. Against minors. And child porn. Mm-hmm. And she's still with him. And so mm-hmm. I thought it would be an interesting topic to dive into. It's just like, how does it even happen? Like, why Why would she stay with him? Well, that's a really easy question, Kyle. Um, folks, this will be a short episode, and we'll be, <laughs> we'll be done with this not at all comments. complex topic of divorce in the cult. <laughs> What are you drinking? I have a grapefruit lager by Ska Brewing from Durango, Colorado. I still can't have any alcohol due to medication, and I wish I could for this episode. (laughs) Y'all, like, I'm doing this episode because I think it's really important, but we're going to have to talk about my divorce and how the cult influenced my thinking in order to explain some of this. So... I procrastinated recording this one. (laughs) It's Thursday. The episode comes out Monday. We're running a little behind because of the holidays, but we'll get it out there. But also because I didn't want to record it. (laughs) Not that I'm doing this against my will or anything, but um, it's just such a complex topic for me because it's hard to think back on the time of my life where I viewed marriage in a way that I think is similar to what Anna Duggar must Mm -hmm. be going through. And it was a very painful time of my life. And it's also hard to look back on it because I was a different human being back then. Like if you know me now, or you've probably picked up on this through the podcast, I'm a pretty empowered woman. And (laughs) Kyle, what, what did you say in our wedding vows? What was, what, how did you describe me? You said I was, you were a force of a woman that would be contained by no man. That's <laughs> and I literally love that. that was like the opening line. <laughs> it was of the my best, vows. You guys. And I, it was, it was the like that that tells you enough. Like I <laughs> I knew what I was getting into and I knew like <laughs> there was no patriarchy going on over here. Uh you know, and it's, that's not to say that, you know, I have some weird submissive reverse role thing no, going on here or whatever. Just it's just strong um, people yeah. who support each other. And it, it's so different because like I'm, 
I don't want to talk. I don't want to admit this. Like, I'm ashamed of it. But what I tell everyone else is when we pull the scary, dark things out and put them in the light, it's healing. So here we go, you guys. Here's one of my deepest, darkest secrets. And you only know this if you attended my first wedding or saw the vows hanging in my home for a few years after the wedding, which is a tiny little percentage of people I know listen to this podcast. But at the time I married my ex-husband, I thought I had to put obey in my vows. Did you know that, Kyle? <laughs> I don't think I knew that one. I don't think you put and it in ours either. No, God, no. <laughs> to my ex's credit, he did not know how he felt about that. Like that was not a requirement of his. Uh, and he, I think he tried to talk me out of it, but I was still so like in the cult at mm -hmm. that point. Like there were so many remnants of the cult that I thought I had to put it in there. Like it was necessary. Yeah. I think it's important to point out, and I'm sure you've mentioned this before in early episodes, but he wasn't actually in the cult. No, he was not. No, um, he was raised in a very conservative Christian environment that was kind of cult-like in its own right or mm -hmm. very cult-like in its own right, but not the, the IBLP cult. Mm -hmm. The difference between that wedding where I'm like, yeah, I'll obey you in my vows and our wedding where you were like, you're a forcible woman who will be contained by no man should tell you everything you need to know about my growth trajectory over the past <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> it has definitely changed. Yeah. And I know, and we can get into this, but like, I know some of the, some of the shit you dealt with in that marriage mm -hmm. and but knowing you now, or, you know, the woman I met when we met, mm -hmm. I was just like, "How is this not the same person? Yeah. Uh, and I can't, I can't even fathom you being like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was, even when I was watching the docu-series and I was like, why is she putting up with this? Like, how has she not left him? And it's just mm -hmm. like, and you were sitting right next to me and you you were that person at, at one point in time. And I know all the backstories there and mm -hmm. like why she was actually doing that, but it's still, it's still hard to wrap your mind around. Yeah. So let's talk objectives for this episode. So one thing that comes to mind for me is let's build a trauma informed response to folks who come out of really oppressive backgrounds and, um, just the choices they make that are absolutely unfathomable to those of us who are not in oppressive environments. And then I'm going to share stories from my previous marriage. I think it's, I've put a lot of thought into this and I think it's going to be necessary to demonstrate how entrenched people can be mm -hmm. in a cult mindset and how like y'all are getting to know me through this podcast or those of you who know me in real life. You'd, you'd probably look at me and be like, well, she's powerful. She would not put up with that shit. But you need to know that I wasn't always like that. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because I, I wanted to be in that much pain and I, I didn't want to be oppressed, but it's all I knew how to do. So one objective for this is I am going to share stories from my previous marriage. And it seems important to say I'm not trying to attack my ex-husband. He he really messed some stuff up and he really harmed me. And I had some really mean responses to his harm. And I apologize to him for that 
before our divorce. And I can own my side of that. And I can own how I behaved from my hurt and the ways in which it was immature. So the point in all of this is not to just like, well, let's slaughter my ex. Do I like him very much or respect him as a human? Like, no, I'm not married to him anymore for very good reasons. But he wasn't a holistically horrible human. He did a couple things really right um, and showed up for me, especially like around support, uh, reporting my brother. He was phenomenal through all of that. Like he was really good at that part. And when I was diagnosed with PTSD and I needed a lot of treatment for that, he was phenomenal for that part too. So those are the two things I can look back and say like, wow, he did that really well. And, you know, I'm trying to balance this with I'm not going to make excuses for his behavior. Mm -hmm. But the point, I guess the point I'm trying to get to is this isn't like, let's just attack him and malign his character. Um, But there's no way to share how harmful a cult mentality is in marriage without sharing some of these stories. Yeah, I mean, some of it, it's and we talked about this before we even started is like the goal is not to throw them under the bus. The goal is to tell real stories that happen to you mm-hmm. for context mm-hmm. or in this situation for context so that people can understand mm-hmm. what like the, the lengths somebody mm-hmm. will go through to stay married as opposed to getting a divorce mm-hmm. because of how, because of the ideology of the cult mm-hmm. and, the, and it being like, well, once you're married, like that's your person, you're stuck with them forever, mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I'll be very clear, like as much as we're saying, you know, we're not here to tear him a new one. Um, I'm also, I'm also very firm on the fact that what he did was wrong and harmful in a marriage. Oh yeah, and and that he caused me enormous pain and grief and suffering for years and years and years and years, and. You know, I sat down so many times and tried to make an outline for this episode and tried to research Bill Gothard's teachings. And um, at the end of the day, like, we're just we're just going to have a raw conversation about what I remember and what I know and how I behaved as a, a woman who got married with a lot of cult ideology hanging on to me. Because um, something Kyle and I have talked about is, like, actually finding – IBLP and ATI materials on eBay and stuff. So we're not giving the cult more money, but we've talked about purchasing materials and like discussing and reviewing them on the podcast. And Bill does have a bunch of stuff out there about marriage and I wasn't going to give the cult money to access them in time for this episode. But if y'all have a lot of questions and stuff, just know that we are looking into purchasing through eBay or not the cult. Um, some of the materials from IBLP and ATI so we can dig into it a little more and provide analysis. But that being said, I didn't buy the rebuilder's guide, <laughs> which is one of Bill Gothard's books that discusses divorce. I did not buy that and, and review it for this, for this segment uh, or for this podcast episode. If anybody just happens to have any ATI or IBLP materials sitting yeah. around home and they don't mind shipping it to us for a few days so we can review it. We'll ship it right back. Uh, Or, or we'll take it. And if you, if you want us to burn it, (laughs) we'll record that. We'll do a burn barrel in our driveway and uh, we'll record the whole thing 
and put it on our social media so everyone can rejoice at oh. Bill Gothard's teachings going up in flames. We'll throw some Cabbage Patch dolls in the <laughs> <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. yeah so where so, do we start, Kyle? I'm obviously procrastinating I, I, still. I, yeah, I don't blame you at all. Um, I, I think we're just going to have to dive right into this one. Um, so, you know, your ex did some good things. Mm-hmm. And he also did some not so good things is the mm-hmm. best way of putting it or the most mm-hmm. polite way, at least um, they were quite horrible. And from what I know, like the things he put you through are not things you stick around for. Mm-hmm. So do you want to share some of those things? Yeah, let's, let's start with what I knew. So growing up in the cult, what did I know about marriage and divorce? Well, you don't get divorced no matter what you don't get divorced. And I do remember that Bill addressed the passage in the New Testament of the Bible that talks about um, how God made an exception, or is it the Old Testament? I really don't remember anymore. I'm kind of glad about that. But anyway, somewhere in the Bible it says that you know God doesn't want them to get divorced, but He made an exception for the hardness of their hearts, or you know something like that. And the way that was pitched, you did not get divorced. Divorce was not an option. That was a phrase I had going into my previous marriage um, that I would say to myself, that I would say to my ex, divorce is not an option. And there were no caveats, <laughs> you know, for abuse or infidelity. Like I I have absolutely no recollections of Bill teaching that it was okay to leave under those circumstances. I remember reading snippets of material from the cult that talked about, you know, as a wife, how to just pray for your husband's repentance, mm-hmm. pray for his repentance, pray for his repentance. And that was your duty as a wife. You did not leave his sorry ass if he was being a motherfucker. You prayed for his repentance. Yeah. And we've touched on this in other episodes. It's just like how the church can want you to reconcile things mm-hmm. that are otherwise you shouldn't be trying to reconcile mm-hmm. and specifically not directly with that person. Like there mm-hmm. are cases where, you know, you need to cut the line and mm-hmm. you know, you need to get the legal system involved or you mm-hmm. need to get divorced because like this just is not, it's you know, not healthy. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Like if it comes down to, I'm going to commit suicide or get a divorce, like for the love of God, please just get the divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, my mental health did get that bad where I, I had severe mental health struggles from how much pain I was in. But yeah, so what I knew from growing, growing up is um, you don't get divorced. And then there was just this absolutely horrible burden on women. Cause you know, the examples I remember weren't, well, the wife is the problem. It was always the husband is the problem. And the wife's job was to stay. The wife's job was to be loyal. And Anna Duggar mentioned that in the docuseries. She talks about, you know, adversity being the testing ground for loyalty and, you know, how you have to stay with your husband even when it hurts you. And um, and that was that was very much what was ingrained in basically my DNA at that point. Um, I remember one of my good childhood friends, her parents went through a divorce and oh my God, was that the end of the world 
you know, because they got a divorce, sin, sin, shame. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, we were taught and we're going to do an episode or a series eventually on courtship and relationships in the cult. But we were taught that courtship is what prevents divorce because courtship happens under the parent's authority and God speaks to you through your parents. And so if you choose a spouse that your parents, you know, well, if your parents choose your spouse, that's like usually the best, most holy way to go about getting married. But like that was supposed to safeguard you from marital problems. That was supposed to protect you from, you know, any any other influences that could make you select a partner you would end up divorcing someday. So so there was a huge element of parental control that went into marriage. And, you know, when I when I think about that, if I kind of zoom out and extrapolate that a bit further, there was so much parental pressure to never get divorced. And parents had a lot riding on their kids not getting divorced because a lot of times parents were deeply involved in the relationship process and the spouse selection process. So a lot of people had a lot to lose if a couple decided to get a divorce. A lot of people had failed. Mm -hmm. And courtship was to pre prevent that failure. And So it sounds like it's, it would be a time commitment, if nothing else, for the parents because then they got to – start that all over again and like oh if a courtship failed well your courtship failed or like they got divorced and then like you got to find another partner well i'm like, trying to remember even... if bill even believed that divorce was real i think he i think he might have believed that you're still married even oh, if you I'm legally sure. divorce i'm sure so I... then you're committing adultery if mm. you remarry so kyle you and i are committing adultery how well, does that fun. feel fun <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so like, do you remember any instances of people getting divorced and remarried? Like, did, how did that look or did they just never happen that you can, recall? I don't remember because like the guy who was the, was the president or the vice president of ATI, the homeschooling program who ran away with his secretary, he divorced his wife, Lori Voller. And he married the secretary. I think they're still together and have their own little family. And I think I don't I don't know if Lori was allowed to remarry. I don't know if in the cult there was a special caveat of if you are left by a spouse, well then you you get to go find a new man mm -hmm. to submit to. Because you must <laughs> have one of those, Kyle. So I just I don't remember, but I don't I don't remember the women remarrying mm -hmm. after a divorce. I think the men usually did though. So, so that was, that was the entire driving force of everything I knew about marriage, about relationships, about divorces. It's, you know, marriage is forever. Divorce is not an option. You must honor your spouse. As a woman, you must obey your husband. And, and that really, that really threw me for a whole lot of loops when I got married and suddenly started dealing with real life issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really difficult for them to have, I mean, for the cult or people in the cult to have such strong belief systems on divorce or, you know, not getting divorced mm -hmm. on top of such strict rules about 
dating and courtship or oh courtship gosh, yeah. in general. And so mm-hmm. like you're setting them up like in a lot of ways they're being set up for a divorce because you really can't even explore the depths of the relationship no, before it's, a marriage. You're trying to rush so that you can have godly sex. <laughs> right. Like honestly, that's what it boiled down to mm-hmm. often was we've got to get this engagement, you know, pushed through. We got to get them married before they are impure with each other before they, they have a moral failure. Yeah. So how did that play out for you? (laughs) Well, my ex and I waited and, um, you don't have to get into this one if you don't want to. Well, which, which part are you thinking about? Like how quickly I realized, Mm -hmm. Oh, I, I knew our wedding night that I had made a mistake marrying him. Um, I think that sex really can teach you a lot about a person mm-hmm. and um, the type of person they are. And I learned real fast on my wedding night that... I I wasn't married to someone who was going to care for and nurture me in a in a loving and safe way. Um I am not saying he raped me, so I want to be very clear on that, but it was a very negative experience that really set the stage for the rest of our marriage. Um I don't I don't really want to go into the specifics of that but it it was not good. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's and correct me if I'm wrong. Um or at least my perspective on it is just like given your history like that is something that needed to be treaded lightly and approached a very well, specific way and like in a very caring and And it wasn't way. even that because I think you know, I had done so much therapy and work on myself by the time I married him. Um, I'm trying to think of how to explain this without just giving him a full pass. I do think repressive culture does Mm -hmm. really nasty things to people, particularly males. And I think his repression, you know, from both of us trying to be good kids played out and, you know, not sleeping together before marriage. We were each other's firsts as as far as I know. (laughs) He was my first consensual. Um, I think that that really played out horribly with who he – well, and and then I I learned a lot more about him, Mm -hmm. and he was very narcissistic in our relationship. So I think you combine that – the, like those narcissistic tendencies with with repression with virginity <laughs> and it is not a good combination yeah. in my experience like growing up in like a southern baptist church um which still had the same like no sex before marriage like mm-hmm. no nothing mm-hmm. and people <laughs> like to tell creative stories about how nothing happened um but specifically with males, because that's I'm a guy, so I, that's what I can attest to, is when you add in this 
purity culture mm-hmm. and no sex before marriage, you end up creating a different problem, which is porn. Yeah. And it's, it's driven off of that. Like I felt like I had no outlet for that. Mm-hmm. And that's a strong hormonal drive mm-hmm. that can obviously be explored in a healthy way if you're not being told to push it down. Mm-hmm. And so you get on the internet or mm-hmm. you find magazines if you're old, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, and you start looking at stuff and then you start going deeper and mm-hmm. deeper and deeper. Cause it never is going to hit the spot and it, 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 it just doesn't have, it's not fulfilling, I guess mm-hmm. is the best way of putting it. And so, if you're in that long enough or if you started looking at porn early enough mm-hmm. and then you got married, you know, mm-hmm. five, 10, 15 years later, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's a long time to be repressing sex mm-hmm. and it can create a huge amount of problems. And I I feel like I've seen that a lot just mm-hmm. in general church culture um, so I think it's probably a very similar situation for you because that was just an extreme version mm-hmm. of it where they were even more extreme about purity culture. So, all right. When I married my ex, he was the only guy I knew at the time who claimed to have never looked at porn. I, don't I call know bullshit on any dude in church that says that, like... I'm sure it exists and, and I'm not going to be naive, but I call bullshit on like 90%. So, so here's, here's the way cult, cult stuff came back to haunt me about a year, year and a half into our marriage. My ex disclosed to me that that was something he indulged in and it was a significant part of his life. Significant that I did not know about. And Did he phrase it that way? Like, this is very important to me? Like, uh, significant, more or? like, well, we got to that eventually. Okay. Initially, the first time he told me about it, it was, you know, significant in that the, the quantity was a lot. Okay. The quantity of consumption was high. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was devastated because we had talked about all of this before we got married. And we had decided together that pornography was not going to be part of our marriage, that things like strip clubs were not going to be part of our marriage, that we were going to keep our sexual relationship just between us. and Which is totally reasonable. Yeah, and that was enough for me. Like, I was deeply attracted to him. I loved him so terribly, enormously much. I mean, he was my childhood sweetheart. I'd been in love with him, I mean, honestly, probably since I was 14, so for eight years before I married him, I knew him for 10 years before I married him. I, I mean, he had my, he had my soul. Um, I just adored him. And to hear that that was something that was such a significant part of his life was devastating for me. And I I talked to him about how we had agreed, you know, not to do that. And, you know, he did, he was like, well, I'm, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop and it's going to be fine. And, and he assured me and promised me through my sobbing meltdown about it that it was never going to happen again. 
Never, ever, ever, ever. Now press pause there and understand that at that time I was finishing up my bachelor's degree at the Moody Bible Institute, which is one of the cult approved colleges. If you must go risk, you know, satanic influence at college. And I was part of a married woman's Bible study. And most of what we talked about was supporting women whose husbands were heavily addicted to porn. I mean, every woman in there, I think we, I mean, we cried with them. And this was before I found out, I started attending this, this Bible study before I found out and, and my heart would just break for these women. I would think how lucky I was that I wasn't dealing with this. Cause again, you don't leave no matter how much it hurts you, no matter what, like in that real conservative Christian culture that is definitely describes the cult too, you don't leave for these things. Like even if it's killing you, even if it's destroying your mental health, even if it's destroying your body image, even like it's destroying your whole fucking marriage, you don't leave. You stand by your man and you pray for their repentance. So so I had like my whole childhood of, you know, you don't divorce, you don't divorce. And then I was attending this Bible study with all these women who were being so deeply harmed by their husbands, various and sundry addictions. And Never once was it, okay, this is this is hurting you so terribly, you're suicidal, should you consider a divorce? It was always pray for repentance mm-hmm. and extend forgiveness and extend grace. So much grace, so much forgiveness. So I find out about, you know, my ex and, and his addiction. And I decided, you know, it was so hard. I think I was in a lot of shock and, and denial. Like, let's be honest, there was a lot of denial in my initial reaction because I decided to believe him and I decided to believe that he was telling me the truth when he said he would never, you know, involve other people in our marriage or involve pornography in our marriage. And, and a couple of years went by, you look like you have a question. Well, I, I don't want to like give him any credit, but like, I believe pornography like really is an addiction, just like alcoholism mm-hmm. or drug addiction. Mm-hmm. And like, it is very easy to say, yeah, I don't want to do this and I'm never going to do this again. And then you do it again. Mm-hmm. I think what's important to see around that is, Hey, I'm never going to do this again. And then when it happens again, or if it happens again, you say like, Hey, I fucked up. Like this isn't who I want to be. Right. Like I'm struggling with this. And like, mm-hmm. as, as a man in this situation, like you have to be more, you have to show some initiative there that like, mm-hmm. Hey, I really don't like this. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hostage to it mm-hmm. and I'm struggling with it. Like, how can you, you know, I want you to be aware of that mm-hmm. and like help me mm-hmm. if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously I have to take the initiative and like do that, mm-hmm. but you also have to not see very clearly, very clear instances where, they're intentionally going back to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you saw. Well, so a couple of years went by and, you know, he would, I would ask sometimes like, Hey, are you, are you still doing that? And he would look me in my face, like in deep into my eyes and say like, Amanda, I swear to you. No, I haven't. And, and like, Maybe I was blind or maybe the guy just didn't have tells. Maybe he was just a really good liar. But then, you know, some some red flags started coming up for me. He started telling me which of my friends he wanted to sleep with. And and sadly for me, 
they were like my closest girlfriends at the time. And that that devastated me. And I, I didn't know what to do. Like, what are you supposed to do when your husband starts telling you that he'd rather be sleeping with your friends or that he wants to bring your friends in for a threesome and stuff like that? Like, what are you supposed to do when you're a good little Christian girl who is going to pray for her husband's repentance and just suffer through? Mm-hmm. And y'all, like, when I say my mental health was in the tank, it was in the fucking tank. And well, I mean, you, you were, you would talk to him previously yeah. and li- line that all out. Like, here's what's okay. Here's what I'm not okay with. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, months, years, whatever mm-hmm. later, he comes back around and is like, Hey, I know we talked about this and we're not going to do this specific thing, but that's what I want. And like that, that lying and the mm-hmm. deception there and looking at you and saying, I'm not doing that. Like, that those are the red flags that like you have to really watch out for. And and it gets worse than that in terms of ideology. Um and thinking that you know you have to submit to your husband. So I'll I'll get into that a little more in a bit, but eventually you know it came out all over again that he had never stopped that that was still a significant part of his life. And I think that's the first time I brought up divorce and I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I just didn't know what else to do. It was just like a threat. Yeah. Yeah. Stop. Like, I'm serious. Yeah. Like, I can't. I literally, my mental health cannot handle this. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that's pretty. I mean, I went through a divorce mm -hmm. and I feel like that's pretty natural. At some point, you like, you go over the edge and you're like, Mm -hmm. this is like, I'm having a boundary now. Mm -hmm. And if if you're not good at that or mm-hmm. if you don't know how to like pump the brakes a little bit, like you get to that point, you're just like divorce. Like this is, that's the boundary. You this have is, found my line yeah. and this is it. <laughs> yeah. You pushed me over the line and now it's divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, that could be a veiled threat, but mm-hmm. it's very clear and it can be eye opening. Like, Oh, like oh, she's, she's serious. serious. And and that's that's unfortunately not where my where my story with my ex went. Um, instead, he decided to start a campaign to convince me that pornography was a good and healthy thing in marriages. That it was normal. I was that I was a prude. That I was the problem. Um, he started like this psychological warfare campaign on me. I mean, we would go on vacation, and I would just I would just want to be with him. I would just want to like have nice times do like being in nature or walking around enjoying the sights and he would he would come on those vacations with just like almost a powerpoint presentation of all of the reasons I needed to get on board with this whole pornography thing and then he started involving strip clubs and um and making me go to strip clubs with him and I mean, I don't even know how to describe for me how horrifying it was to to watch my spouse, whom I loved, you know, I was so attracted to him, um, to watch him for signs of arousal and excitement and see if his pupils were dilating and, you know, other indicators because of other women. I mean, that's got to be, that's horrible. Like, that's horrible to, like, make you go with him when he knows you don't approve of that. Yeah. 
and then make you go with him. Like, yeah, that's and, that, to me. That's malicious, like very malicious. And in the I fact. stayed. <laughs> yes, and I kept staying, and I thought there there were changes happening in me during that time. You know, I wasn't like, well, pornography and strip clubs are wrong because the Bible says so. And I understand there's there's a broad view of you know morality around sexual entertainment. My stance on it doesn't come from like a biblical worldview as much as it comes from my work around um, sexual assault prevention and response and just the amount of harm that pornography and places like strip clubs cause in terms of, you know, objectification and desensitizing men to the fact that, or, or just viewers, not just men, but like people that, that these are real women, these are real human beings, um, and the ethics of it and how many people in the pornography industry are not willing participants in filming. And I mean, I just, that's, that's where I come from around these issues. I don't think it's good for society because I don't think it's good for women. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's good for how we think of women. Women are more than just bodies. They're more than tits and ass. They're more than sex. Mm-hmm. And and my ex would literally come home from a bad day at the work and a, a bad day at work and say he needed to go to a strip club to see tits. And and that like he would say it even more crassly than that. But like that's what would make him feel better. And and so I you know coming from this place of you have to like first of all, stay with your husband. You have to support your husband. You have to honor your husband. You have to do what your husband wants. And then you add in my situation, my ex's narcissistic manipulative tendencies where, you know, I, I was vocal. Like I was growing as a human through this whole period of time with my ex. And I was starting to stand up for myself and and I verbalized it to him. I would say, no, I would say, I don't want to do that. I would, I would explain to him how uncomfortable it made me. I'm a really strong writer. I would write him essays, (laughs) like just pouring out my soul about what those experiences did to me and how damaging they were to me and, and how his relentless campaign was just killing me. Like it was literally destroying my mental health. And I was suicidal for years and I stayed and I stayed and I stayed. And cause, cause that's what you do because divorce is not an option. And I thought that he was going to come around and, and someday it would all work out. But in fact, what happened was he just became more and more convinced that I needed to get on board with this lifestyle he wanted and he wouldn't he wouldn't come to bed with me at night anymore. He'd be in the living room doing you know what and um and I sobbed myself to sleep for years in that marriage like just wondering what was wrong with me like why I couldn't get my husband to to sleep with me instead of watching pornography. And I, I think it's so crazy. Like I feel like hiding it like being addicted to it and hiding it, I would say is normal. Mm-hmm. Watching it while your spouse is home and in the room next door to you while they're simultaneously telling you, I don't like that. Please don't do that. That hurts me. Mm-hmm. Again, just straight up malicious. Like it's not, it just blows my mind that like, that's so, I don't, I don't even know. Like, I like it's that so you don't brass even know how to, to like comprehend that. Yeah. I just can't fathom like 
you telling me like, please don't do that. It really hurts me. And then me just like sitting next to you, like I'm going to do it. And I never thought I would find myself in a, in a marriage where I was trying to negotiate my spouse down from hardcore porn to softcore porn in my presence. Like I really can't handle the stuff you like. Mm -hmm. And, and it got to the point where if I wanted to be with him at all, that had to be part of it. And which is also like, that's so bold. Yes. And he would send me articles about how, you know, pornography is not an addiction. And he would want me to read all of this stuff. Like, like it was a relentless campaign. And, and, you know, I did, <sighs> he lied about a lot of stuff. Um, I did find a woman's shoe in his car after I was gone for a while with the military and he denied everything. Um, I found out stuff from his coworkers later after the divorce. And, you know, even after finding that shoe, even after knowing I was being lied to, mm. even after everything that he'd put me through for years and years and years, I would sometimes threaten divorce, but it, it was like, your spouse is your person and you never, ever, ever divorce that person. And it's, it's so hard for me to look back on that time and just see how diminutive I was and how oppressed I was and how like this is something I'm still thinking through in a lot of ways because I don't want to give my ex a pass where he he should be accountable and I don't want to like overburden myself with things that weren't my fault but it is so hard to look back on that time and think well and compare to the the person I am today which I would say is pretty powerful and that person back then, like I was, I was learning how to be her. I was starting to come into that power. I was, I was able to verbalize all of the ways it hurt me. I was able to express my needs and I was able to, to fight for what I wanted. And I still, I still stayed in a marriage that made me suicidal because the whole pray for his repentance. He's going to come around. As your wife, you have to love him through all the phases. As, as his wife, you have to love him through all of his phases. You have to love him when he's hurting you. You have to stay with him when he's hurting you. No matter what he does, it's your job as the woman, as the wife to stay, to persevere. And and so when, when you look at people like Anna Duggar, like, that's probably what she's going through. I imagine that she is dying inside in those video clips in the docuseries. I imagine that she is overwhelmed and, and just experiencing such intense pain and heartbreak. But everything she knows is that it is her job as the woman to stay, <laughs> to pray for his repentance, to be loyal to him, to, to suffer as much as it takes as the woman, as the wife. There's, there's just an enormous amount of responsibility on women to tolerate whatever the man decides to give. Mm -hmm. what, you know, however abusive, however manipulative, however narcissistic, however harmful, you stay. Oh, your 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 spouse looks at child porn. Well, better pay for pray for his repentance. Like and I hope for her one day 
deeply hope for her one day that that she'll be the one saying like, oh my gosh, I look back on, on that Anna and I don't, I don't even recognize her anymore. I don't know how she made it because that's how I feel. Like I, I love you to death, Kyle, but there are lines that like I've learned you don't cross, you know, in a relationship and that there are things that weren't divorced. And I know you feel the same way. Like, and, and that's something I really love about our relationship is that we're, we're so on the same page around that stuff, but it's, it's such a fucking trap. It's such a trap for women specifically. And the other thing, the other thing, I was on my ex's insurance. I was like, he made way more money than I did because as a military spouse moving every two years, sometimes I take 50% pay cuts just to follow him to the next location. You know, I was, I was not able to support myself. And I, I looked it up once. I remember this at like, after one of the strip club things, um, I sat down and I pulled up apartments and, and health insurance and phone bills and like everything it would take for me to live on my own. And I couldn't afford it because I'd just taken a 50% pay cut. And, and you don't, that's the other thing. And this is another thing I look back and I'm like, Amanda, what, why weren't you thinking about this? Like, I know now hindsight 2020, I had people in my life. I could have told what was going on and they would have been like, we will buy your plane ticket. We will help you find a different job, like move away from him, get out of that situation. Uh, But you don't talk about that because you have to protect your spouse's reputation. You have to protect your husband's reputation. And, and so, I mean, it was, it was almost at the end before I finally started telling the people closest to me how much I was struggling because it was tell someone or I was going to kill myself. And, and it's just so sad that it got, it got that dire. But, um, when I realized that, that this was just him and that there was no way I could pray him out of it, I, I made some really significant changes to my life so that I could afford to be on my own in case I needed to divorce him. So I just wanted to go back for a quick second. And when you think back to that time where you're telling him like, hey, this is all hurting me. I don't like this. Please stop. All of that kind of stuff. Like at that point in time with where you were at mentally mm-hmm. um, and with the cult stuff, like what did you feel at that time? Like to me, I, I would think you feel stuck. Stuck and hopeless because like I, I got to the point where I was powerfully advocating for myself. I don't doubt it. And if that didn't work, I was, I was just screwed. I was doomed. So I felt stuck and overwhelmed, but mostly I felt hopeless. I had, I had no idea how I was going to survive like that for the rest of my life. Cause you know, divorce wasn't an option. Right. Yeah. And I know from like the work you do now and like, you know, just getting a little more educated on this stuff, like women that are in these circumstances like that, and maybe this is domestic violence, for example, like they're in the same situation where maybe they don't make enough money to afford that. Or yes. they've got kids with yes. this person and like there's yes. 9,000 different reasons why it's hard to get away from them. Especially in the cult when you have 14 gazillion kids mm-hmm. and you don't have a job because you're a keeper at home right? and you have no resume. Mm-hmm. That's Anna Duggar right there. Yeah, it's, it's, 
I mean, as a man, like, I don't think about that. Cause I'm not, you know, if I was, I mean, and this is, this is what happened. Like I got a divorce and at no point in that was I thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to buy food or an apartment. Mm-hmm. Like granted, I wasn't making a ton of money. Um, nowhere close to what I make now, but it was still enough that I could support myself. And you never stressed about that. Well, I like I was, I knew I was going from two incomes to one. And so like in totality, my income was going to significantly change, but it wasn't, I'm going to be on the streets because it's going to change that much. Mm -hmm. And so, no, it didn't, it wasn't, that impactful or that it wasn't that big of a process for me when I was thinking about, okay, I have to get a divorce now. And when you think about the cult in particular, it's, it's so insulated because all your friends are cult friends. So if you want support, if you want help, you're not going to get it from them. Nope. You're not going to, they're not going to take you in and they're going to send you right back to your husband and tell you to go pray for his repentance and to be a submissive wife and to love and honor him through it. Don't be bitter. Oh, and, and that, (laughs) and don't be bitter. So it's, it is the most fucking stuck place to be. And especially if you add kids into the mix, which I'm, I'm really, really grateful that was not part of my story with my ex. I don't, I don't know, know what how I you, would have. I don't know how you would get out of that. Like I, like you'd have to have an enormous amount of support to get mm-hmm. divorced with 10 kids mm-hmm. and not have worked before mm-hmm. and have no skill set or education. And also part of your core beliefs is you can't be on welfare <laughs> or get so, divorced. Yes. So it's just, I don't know. It's just heartbreaking and, I think it, we still we still didn't get divorced for like another year and a half. But I think my breaking point was we were in New Orleans and my ex manipulated and pressured me into going into another strip club. Uh, I mean, I, and I would say no, 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 no. Like the whole, like I was clear and oh, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go. Like, please don't do this. I I really don't want to go in here. Please, can we stop this? And he he got me into another strip club. And I was watching him. And I got to the point where I just fucking couldn't take it anymore. And I walked all the way across New Orleans in the middle of the night by myself, sobbing my heart out, walking down the street. I did not give a flying fuck. And I thank God I like made it back to my hotel safely. And, and I guess I'm trying to remember he came and found me, but even that, like, even that he spent the rest of that vacation trying to convince me that all of these things that hurt me so much were a good and normal part of marriage and that I needed to adjust. And, and I think something inside me finally died that night. And I found the shoe like a year later and like a lot of life happened between that moment in New Orleans and when we actually got a divorce, which he asked for. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm mad at myself that I didn't. I wish I had. I wish, I wish for my own sake I had been the one to initiate that. I think that would have been a very healing thing 
for me, but he got there first and it is what it is. And how that all ended up going down in the end, um, you know, he was, he was deployed. He went to Afghanistan with the military and during his deployment, I found out yet again that there was even more stuff going on that was outside of our marriage vows and what we had agreed upon that I was still holding to, but he wasn't and hadn't, you know, since the beginning. So I finally, I'm just remembering this actually. I, I imposed a separation after I found out about that. Like I could not take it anymore. And it, I mean, we were already separated because I was in the States and he was deployed, but we were still communicating. And I said, I, I needed to stop. Like it was hurting me so much. And my mental health was in so much jeopardy at that point that I, I said I needed to stop talking to him for a while. And so I did, but I, <laughs> the goal of that was to get the whole thing to turn around and, you know, stay together. Cause <sighs> cult ideology still influenced me. But, um, and then one day he called me from Afghanistan and said he had decided he wanted a divorce. And then the next words out of his mouth were, I'm taking the dog. Don't even fight me on that. And I got him to agree to go to marriage counseling when he got back. And so several months later, I think like four months later, when he got back from Afghanistan, we made it through a grand total of four sessions with a marriage counselor. And in the fourth one, um, my ex said, you know, Amanda's a great wife. Like she's, she's been a great wife, but I just don't love her anymore. And the, the therapist was like, well, oh, he said that after the therapist had asked him like a couple of questions, he was like, can you stop the porn and strip clubs? And my ex was like, no. And then he was like, can you, can you just commit to loving Amanda? And he was like, no. And that's when he said, she's been a great wife, but I just, I don't love her and I don't, I'm not going to do anything that she's asked. So I want a divorce and props to our marriage counselor. Like the dude never broke the entire time we had sessions with him. Like he stayed really objective. He stayed really fair to both of us. But after my ex said that so bluntly, he looked, the, the marriage counselor looked at me and was like, Amanda, you need to get a lawyer. He's going to run all over you. And I looked at my ex and he was like, yeah, you should get a lawyer. And that's, that's how we got divorced. And I wish I had initiated it instead of it going down like that. So before we go past that, do you think you would have ever got there? Do you think you would have ever said, I want a divorce. I'm taking initiative. I'm going to end this. This is too toxic. Probably would have taken me a lot longer. Like another year, five, 10 years. If you had to guess, probably more in the five to 10 range. And it was eight and a half by the time he called it. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel so sorry for the me that lived through those eight and a half years. I wish, I wish she didn't have to experience that, but like based on how I grew up and, and the ideology that shaped my fundamental beliefs around marriage, I wasn't going to make any other choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, it, it was going to be what it was going to be. And gosh, 
I know, I know I am not unique in that. I know there's so many women who grew up in IBLP who have similarly tragic stories and they, they stayed through just absolutely unimaginable shit because that's, that's what a good wife does. That's the whole reason we're doing this episode is to tell stories about like how much shit these women will put up with Mm -hmm. for, for how long? Yeah. (laughs) For 10 to 15 years or a lifetime or, or or maybe forever. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the ideology is so strong, mm-hmm. they're in, intentionally put into a situation where it is incredibly hard and difficult to get out of that, and, if not And it's impossible. all on your shoulders. Like, as the woman, you fail. <laughs> right. You fail. And you have no support fails. system. You can't go to the mm-hmm. church that is running your life. You can't go to the people that are around you because they're involved in it, too. You've got... <laughs> A small army you've got a football team of kids mm-hmm. to take care of that you can't mm-hmm. i mean you're already in poverty <laughs> anyway trying to feed 10 mouths and you're not going to do that separately yeah my encouragement to listeners is when you look at anna duggar yes it's so easy to have the knee-jerk reaction of what the fuck woman mm-hmm. but zoom out Next time you find yourself feeling that way, I would encourage you to zoom out and think about the way her life is just wrapped up in this ideology and and the kind of miracle it's going to take for her and other women in, in that situation to make a break from from their spouse, from you know the the cult ideology, from from the safety mm-hmm. <laughs> and security that really harmful place also provides. And so, yeah, I guess part one is, is definitely zoom out and have some compassion. That's a very, so basically what I'm saying is have a trauma informed response. And secondly, if you are in a situation where you are putting up with behavior that is making you suicidal or, or that is so, um. Well, obviously abusive, but what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like oppressive. Yeah. Malicious. Malicious. Mm-hmm. Like you have voiced your concerns. You have been honest. You have been vulnerable. You have shared where you're at and and what's going on on your side of the marriage, and you've expressed that, and you've expressed ways that you want the marriage to look instead and, and how to heal and how to how to walk out of that as a couple. Um, if you've done all of that and you're like, okay, it's still horrible, I guess I got to stay, like, please don't. Please, please learn from those of us who have walked out of those scenarios or been forced out of those scenarios in my case, and we look back and I'm like, that divorce was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it, it broke me so hard at the time. Like I, you know, that, that, that pain you feel like it's a, it's a physical heartbreaking pain. There's a reason they call it heartbreak. It hurts so much. And I still look at it and I think it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And, you know, now I'm married to a guy who's opening line in his wedding vows where you're a force of a woman who'll be contained by no man. So like there are better people out there. 
Um, and that's hard to see when you're in it. Oh, like, it's so hard. There, I there is no light. If he told tunnel. me I would never find anyone better than him, you know, and and I believed it. <laughs> I believed it. I thought that like this was just life, and this was marriage, and and it hurts, and it's hard, and and this is how husbands are, and my duty and role as a wife was to stick it out and love him through it and pray for his repentance, but. Oh my God. So because you do this professionally, what would you tell somebody like say somebody, one of the listeners is in this situation. Like an act, like a domestic violence situation sure. or like a, cause there are different forms. There's domestic violence that's criminally reportable. Right. And then there's like emotional domestic violence, which is not criminally reportable, so, but it's still real right. and hard. So my question was going to be, what would you tell somebody like what resources are available to people when they're in a situation where they don't feel like they can get out? Okay. So what was really hard for me to learn, and I was actually going through an advocacy certification when I learned it, is that what happened to me was domestic violence. And that was like the non-criminal side of it, um, emotional abuse. And, but, but, advocates and advocacy organizations are trained in that too. Like you don't have to be experiencing beatings to get help and care from community resources. Like if I could have at any point, if I had known this, I could have called the local crisis line. I could have called um, the national hotline. I could have gotten on one of the chats for, um, and maybe I'll put all of this in, I'll put this up on social media, like all my favorite resources and links and stuff. Um, yeah, we'll put it in the description for the episode. Yeah, we'll do that too. So, you know, you don't, I guess what I'm trying to really make clear is you can utilize resources even if you are not being beaten. Okay. So, so we, Advocacy organizations recognize that there is a spectrum of harm. And and we talk about the continuum of harm all the time um, in advocacy. But yeah, if you are experiencing like that level of pain in a relationship, that's not normal. That's not right. That's not okay. Something is is deeply wrong. You are not crazy. I think that's the primary thing that folks who are in, especially like – situations where they're being manipulated or they're experiencing gaslighting or narcissism and stuff is just know that you are not crazy. It is not in your head and you do not have to keep tolerating living in that kind of oppression and pain. You can utilize those community resources. Um, You can talk to your therapist. You know, if you're an adult, they can't they're they're not going to be mandatory reporters of that and like most therapists i think i think the laws on that are like if you're going to kill someone they have to report it um and if you are actively planning to kill yourself they will they will get um emergency personnel to respond but if you go in and you're like and i never did i never told my therapists everything that i was going through at home with my ex. And I think if I had, if I had processed it away from him in a safe space, I would have put the pieces of the puzzle together faster that this was deeply harmful and not a place that was good for me and and not something I could fix. Like none of us can fix anyone else. Like whatever my ex decided to do after I left, like hopefully he worked through some of this stuff, but like 
you can't fix anyone else and it's not your job to fix anyone else. So if if you can talk about what's going on in your relationship in therapy, if you can um if you have some safe friends, like really grounded, mature, non-judgmental people who aren't going to go run their mouths and gossip about your situation. That's eventually what I did is I I started talking to two of my uh, closest friends at the time and I, I leveled with them about everything that was happening. And, and they were able to, you know, a lot of times they were quiet and they just let me vent um, and if I asked for feedback, they would give it. But they kind of, not kind of, they were the people who taught me I wasn't crazy. You know, as I asked for their reactions and and as I learned, like, it should not hurt this much to be in love with someone. Like, it, it, it should not hurt this much to be married to someone. So I would say definitely reach out to to local or national level resources that we'll post. If you are in therapy, I know it's hard. I know it's scary. Really strongly, deeply recommend opening up to your therapist. If you have some safe, grounded, mature friends who are non-judgmental and can hold a safe space for you, the key is to just start talking. Like tell someone. If you have a good relationship with, you know, your family, if your family's going to be supportive of of you being safe in every way, not just not just physically, but your like emotionally and mentally safe. That's just as important. Um, Talk to your family, you know, and the holidays are a great time to do that because everyone's around. If you need support, maybe, maybe think about that. Maybe think about utilizing some time where you're with family, you're with people who love you and would, would want to protect you and help you figure out a way out. Maybe consider using, using a visit this holiday season to to open up to safe people to safe people who can who can support you as you consider and i'm not saying you have to go get a divorce i'm not that is always every individual's choice but if if you are to the point where you're contemplating suicide all the time because you you feel so harmed in your relationship or your marriage consider Consider the voices from the other side of the fence, from way down the road, people like me, other other folks out there who are also talking about this stuff, and hear from us that it does get better and it's okay to let go of that ideology. It's okay to, to choose your mental health. There are people, there are resources that can help catch you, even with 15 gazillion kids. So that that's a good thing I want to get into like from a tactical or logistics standpoint, because I'm a guy and that's what we think about is just logistics. You're talking to a military. <laughs> well, there's that too. But Former in general, military. like I was surprised that in our local advocacy advocacy group, mm-hmm. like they literally have people that have guest houses, mm-hmm. campers, mm-hmm. rental houses that, they donate for victims to stay in temporarily until they can get back up on their feet, mm-hmm. you know, do whatever, you know, go through the legal process, whatever, like from a logistics standpoint, like mm-hmm. what other resources are out there? Because to me, that was, so many. <laughs> that was like, that would be a game changer for me. If I was in that situation and mm-hmm. I found out like, 
hey, this place in town, like they can put you up in an apartment for two weeks. Yeah. It's anonymous. No mm-hmm. one will know you're there. Mm-hmm. We'll bring you food or mm-hmm. whatever. And like, or, you know, or this lady is going to take care of you and no one will know you there. And you're going to be taken care of while you, while we, you know, the organization and the victim get this all figured out. Like, that's a game changer for mm-hmm. me. And so like what type of resources like that mm-hmm. are like generally available? Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff and some of it's dependent on, you know, grants and what your local crisis response organization has access to. But, you know, there's, there's options for temporary housing. There's help with resume building and getting a job. There's help with, um, finding childcare. There's, there's a lot and, and good advocacy groups are not going to just be like, you poor little broken baby animal. We'll do everything for you. They're going to empower you. They're going to treat you like the badass survivor you are, uh, but they're going to be a resource, a guide, um, something to kind of lean on for some, some help and support as you figure this out. So yes, from, from food and clothing to jobs, to resumes, to housing, to, you know, figuring out childcare and transportation, like there are resources for all of that in your local community. There are a lot of, um, federal, federal grants that fund those things. There are a lot of private donors who fund these sorts of things. And what you need to know is like the folks who do this work, both the the paid staff and the volunteers, like they fucking want to be there for you or they wouldn't show up. Like, like those of us who volunteer, if we didn't care, we wouldn't give up our evenings. We wouldn't be on call at two in the morning. Like we care. Mm -hmm. We deeply care. And, and we want as many people as possible to make it out of harmful environments. Um, or if they do choose to stay, that is entirely their choice, but at least they'll, they'll have some resources and, and some people to tell them like, no, you're not crazy. That's real weird. That's not okay. That's on the continuum of of harm. Here's where that is. That's abuse. Like even, and they're going to support you good agencies. They're going to support your choice, whatever your choice is. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes, a variety of resources. Don't be afraid to reach out. Those people are going to love you and care about you and do everything they can to help you. Yep. And there's no bad time. Like you're, when you do your shifts, you're on from 6 PM to 6 AM mm-hmm. and you've gone up to the hospital at midnight mm-hmm. or wherever, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's, <laughs> I it's, can't tell you. She, yeah. Like I don't really, I don't know what happens. I just know she's on call and she gets a call and she goes into another room and she does her thing. And I have no idea what's happening. And she just drives off and comes back a couple hours later or whatever. Like those people are literally there in the middle of the night if you need it. Yeah. And it's, and sometimes I'll get calls and people just need emotional support. Mm-hmm. Like they just need someone to listen while they describe how they're feeling and, and how they're struggling. And like I said, there are people who would love to be that for you. And there's people like you that have a whole room set up in their house just in case. (laughs) Yes. There, there are a lot of good people in the world. I'm still impressed that I believe that because I don't (laughs) think I should (laughs) after everything I've been through in my life. But I think that there are still so many people 
who will just drop anything to take care of other people, even if they're strangers. So believe that and trust that and trust that if you need a way out, like life, life will find a way. And and there will be people who come along beside you and support that, even if you cannot imagine it at the moment, as I certainly could not. So I think that's probably where we should end this. Like, I can't think of a better place in this than there's good people out there that will help mm-hmm. and they're there whenever you need them. Mm-hmm. And people that are stuck in these crazy fucked up situations, like there's someone out there that's going to help you. And I know you have to push through a lot of crazy ideology, especially if you grew up in a cult, but it is possible. And I can tell you from the other side, it's really worth it. Yeah. And I'm sure they have no idea that's an option. Yeah, it is. So if you know anybody that has no idea that's an option, now you know. And and approach them with a lot of compassion and be trauma-informed because we got to remember <laughs> the previous Amandas and the current Anna Duggars and whomever else out there, like, it's just so baked into you that you got to stay, um, that divorce is not an option, that you got to love your spouse through whatever harm. Um So just remember that and handle with care. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode and we'll be back next Monday. Because should we tell them what's coming next Monday? Yes, because I forgot. So please tell me what's coming next Monday. (laughs) We are going to have a special guest, Tim Whitaker from the New Evangelicals. He has agreed to come on to our show and help us tackle the question, are all religions cults? So we're very excited because I think we're between uh, among Kyle, me and Tim, we have some diverse thoughts on this question. So mm-hmm. we're we're going to give it a fair shake and try to have a balanced, authentic conversation. Tim seems like a really fun person to talk with. So I think it'll be a yeah. really interesting and fun episode. Yeah. And listening to his podcast, I, f- I feel like he's got a very, he's got some interesting ideas and in- mm-hmm. And I'm curious to hear his opinion on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, none of us are psychologists or specialists in any of this stuff. It's just our opinions of growing up and being in religious Cults and churches. <laughs> Cults and churches. So. so like, share, comment, follow. What else can people do? Uh, leave us a review. Yes. <laughs> and we still haven't got a voicemail on the website. So guys, I need a voicemail question. Someone throw me a bone here. <laughs> That's your task until next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to another episode of the cult. I left behind until next time. Don't join a cult. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like share and subscribe and we will catch you on the next episode.